0: Politics is so often a fact-free zone.
1: <laughs> Curly Fiorina finally got something right.
2: Well I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I'll fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clown to let me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle
1: with you. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK, K-P-F-K in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast so As heard on 90.7 face. FM in enjoy, L.A., yeah, 91.7 FM KYAQ so on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, Coast. and now... 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Glad to have you folks on board. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Progressive Voices channel, NetRoots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not. Radio Free Brooklyn and Radio Sputnik five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. If not you... Uh, glad you could join us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure, and it is a thrilling one today. We've got some breaking news momentarily, but I want to once again underscore uh, our welcome to the good folks of Lancaster, PA, and Gap, Pennsylvania, in south-central Pennsylvania, near, uh, not too far from where I used to live, actually, out there in... Uh In Easton, Allentown, Bethlehem area. So glad we're getting out the word to the folks in Pennsylvania. Welcome aboard to our uh, latest Pacifica Radio Network affiliate station. And we know there's a lot more out there who actually carry the broadcast. Feel free. ...to let me know if you're doing so. I will sing your praises, whether you deserve them or not. All you got (laughs) to do is drop me an email, bradcast at bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, how are you today?
2: How how am I? I am good, and I'm just excited about uh, Gap, Pennsylvania. Mind the Gap.
1: Mind the Gap, indeed. All right, we are going to have a—there is a new report on America's voting machines at risk— For 2016. Imagine that. Imagine the thing that we have been talking about for so long, for over a decade, finally coming out in a new report that everyone is paying attention to in the corporate mainstream media. For some reason, they didn't pay attention uh, over these years when brandblog.com reported it. Well, actually, they did pay attention, but nobody took any action on it. And now with this new report, they probably won't take any action on it either. However, Uh, We will be talking to the author of that new report. He will be here very soon to explain himself and his report shortly. Uh, His troubling report, at least for those of you who give a damn about democracy, as we do here on the Bradcast and at Bradblog.com. But here's your breaking news. Uh, Scott Walker, governor of Wisconsin, Controversial governor of Wisconsin is, according to reports as we go to air, about to drop out of the 2016 Republican race for the uh, Republican nomination for president. Well, that was quick. Uh, Scott Walker, when we started this thing, really just a few months back, was considered to be the front runner, at least in the uh, in the state of Iowa. He was leading in all of the polls uh, when it came to Iowa, and he has absolutely plummeted once the rest of the country got to figure out what a dope Scott Walker actually is. At least uh, that was their response to his performance at, uh, at a couple of the Republican debates so far. So Scott Walker joins Texas Governor Rick Perry in dropping out. Zach Roth over at uh, NBC MSNBC notes that uh, the two biggest vote suppressors in the race are now apparently out. Both uh, Scott Walker and Rick Perry signed and championed strict photo ID laws in their respective states. And in both cases, the court's found those laws to be illegal and unconstitutional and everything else. And yet Scott Walker and Rick Perry were both proud of them, despite the fact that it would keep millions of uh, perfectly legal voters, many of them already registered from being able to cast their vote. So even the Republicans apparently uh, weren't uh, supporting these guys, uh, at least for their uh, voter suppression acuity. Uh, Zach Roth asks, is salience of that issue declining for the GOP? Well, I don't know. But anyway, Scott Walker is out. That comes that news comes on on the heels of this new uh, this new poll from CNN showing that Walker's support is now to, after leading. Remember, leading in the state of Iowa. His support is now down to less than one half of one percent. I mean, he absolutely plummeted to the bottom of the barrel in the the Republican field. But at the same time over the past few days since the CNN Republican debate last week, Carly Fiorina has now shot into second place in the Republican presidential field on the heels of another strong debate performance, says CNN. I love this. Fiorina rockets to number two behind Trump in the GOP field says CNN uh, and their CNN orc poll. Uh, tr- Donald Trump uh, has lost some support, apparently. He's still the uh, party's front runner with 24%. But that is an 8 percentage point decrease from earlier this month when a similar poll had Donald Trump at 32%. Have we reached peak Trump? Hard to know. We'll find out. But Fiorina, in the meantime, is now ranking second with 15% support. That is up 3%. Uh, From early September, and she is now just ahead of Ben Carson, who had been for some reason in second place until people took a closer look at him, I guess, in uh, in the recent debate. Uh, His support has uh, dropped off a few points, uh, about five points since the uh, previous poll.
2: And yet still remaining in the race are Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal, uh, Republican Jim Gilmore, uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, and former New York Governor George Pataki. So what is the criteria that made Scott Walker decide, oh, I've got to get out, but these other people who don't even make it into the big debates?
1: Well, it's the great expectations. It's the fact that—well, two points. Uh, One, that he was expected to do much better, whereas I'm not sure anybody ever uh, expected Jim Gilmore to do well. And also— uh, because as a front runner, he had a, a broad national campaign running that he can no longer fund. These other guys hadn't really spread out uh, broadly, hadn't put a lot of money into uh, places like Iowa. And uh, so, you know, it's not such a big disappointment. But with Scott Walker, who had spent a lot of money, who had hired a lot of staff, he can't make the payroll, uh, apparently. He's having trouble raising any money at all. So uh, maybe we'll have more on this tomorrow once we hear uh, from uh, from Walker and uh, he's set to give a a press conference shortly on why he's living the race. Um, But in the meantime, uh, Fiorina is now the uh, the it girl of the moment and uh, CNN. I love this. This is just why just another reminder of why CNN is so horrible in their coverage here. Uh, Of this new poll, CNN says that Fiorina clashed with Trump over his personal attacks and their business records and scored points for her condemnation of Planned Parenthood. And that's it. They don't go into detail. They don't go into what that condemnation was. They don't go on to explain uh, the fact that her condemnation includes what is apparently a complete and utter fantasy. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, also uh, of note, I suppose, in this poll is uh, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, kind of surprising to me because I'm incredibly unimpressed by him. He's now in fourth place. He's moving up. Scott Walker is plummeting. Jeb Bush is plummeting. These people thought to have been the front runners Now um, Marco Rubio, who was thought to potentially uh, be a viable establishment candidate, he is now... Uh, moving up, up 3% from a previous poll. So while Bush and Walker plummet, Marco is slightly on the rise. So way to go, uh, Rubio. Keep your water bottle handy. One other point here from the CNN coverage um, of note, to a certain extent. The poll offered some good overall news for Republicans with 65% of GOP voters saying they are either extremely or very enthusiastic about voting in the 2016 presidential race. 65% of GOP voters, that is compared with just 51% of Democratic voters who uh, say they're extremely or very enthusiastic. And uh, hard to know, but uh, how much of that has to do with the fact that Democrats are holding no debates. We hear nothing about the Democrats other than Hillary Clinton's uh, email woes, And uh, beyond that, we hear very little. It would be nice if they, too, were debating the way the uh, Republicans are. Well, not the way the Republicans are, but... uh, But
2: showing up at all in the media landscape.
1: Sure. That would be nice. Now, Fiorina, uh, she did an excellent job at that CNN debate uh, last week of articulating all matter of absolute rubbish that wingnuts who are detached from actual reality, as we talked about on our last program... Those who are detached from actual reality and actual facts, they loved hearing it. They absolutely loved hearing her uh, well-articulated stuff and nonsense, and none more so than her chest-thumping about war, pouring billions, if not trillions, of government, big government cash into our al- already obscene, gigantic military budget, she wanted to rebuild the uh, the Sixth Fleet, reignite the Cold War even further than it already is by sending missiles to Russia's border in Poland. Here is uh, Fiorina chest-thumping on that point.
0: We need the strongest military on the face of the planet, and everyone has to know it.
1: Yes, everyone has to know it. Never mind that we already have the largest military budget uh, and the largest military On the face of the planet, larger than I think is the next 15 or so countries combined, combined, most of them are allies, by the way. So this uh, small government conservatism uh, of the Carly Fiorina brand, uh, they want to make government even huger. And base Republican voters are brainwashed enough to think that is a good thing or a smart thing or, most embarrassingly, a conservative thing. It is, of course, none of the above. But while growing the government abroad, she would also like to cut services to, you know, actual American citizens under the pretend premise that she saw something in a hoax video about Planned Parenthood that she actually did not even see. Here's Carly uh, Fiorina at the debate, failed businesswoman, Carly Fiorina at the debate, claiming she saw something that apparently nobody else is able to find.
0: I dare Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, to watch these tapes. Watch a fully formed fetus on the table, its heart beating, its legs kicking. While someone says we have to keep it alive to harvest its brain. This is about the character of our nation. And if we will not stand up and force President Obama to veto this bill, shame on us.
1: You know, uh, you know what else is about the character of this nation? A president who leads it who is not a fantasist. As Amanda Marcotte over at Slate was the first that I saw to point this out, a lot of other people have now pointed this out, Uh, she wrote that uh, her her comment about vetoing this bill and this this disturbing Planned Parenthood video that showed a beating heart and kicking legs and somebody talking about uh, harvesting its brain or whatever nonsense, Amanda Marcotte wrote, "...it was quite a performance and it opens up the question of what Fiorina was inhaling before she watched those videos." There is nothing in the videos made by the uh, Center for Medical Progress, either in the edited or full-length versions, that has anything approaching images of legs kicking or hearts beating. Marcotte writes, To be sure, Fiorina wasn't the only person lying about Planned Parenthood on the stage. The claim that Planned Parenthood sells fetal body parts was stated as fact by multiple candidates, but it is simply not true, and repeating it will not make it more true. But describing such a vivid and grisly scene that never happened, that, says Manda Marcotte, is taking it to another level. Uh, despite the Fiorina's insinuations to the contrary, many people have, in fact, watched uh, not just the uh, edited versions of those uh, videos by these uh, right-wingers who deceptively edit videos to make them appear to be something they are not, She says, but the entire unedited videos, she watched them as well, and many other people have as well, and they continue to be pro-choice anyway, and not just because they missed the part with the legs kicking, which doesn't exist. And to underscore that fact, Fiorina was on Fox News of all places, and even Chris Wallace asked her about this imaginary video that she believes she has seen. Do you acknowledge what every
3: fact checker has found that as horrific as that scene is, it was only described on the video by someone who claimed to have seen it. There is not no actual footage of the incident that you just mentioned
0: no I don't accept that at all I've seen the footage and I find it amazing actually that all these supposed fact checkers in the mainstream media claim this doesn't exist they're trying to attack the authenticity of the videotape I will continue to dare anyone who wants to continue to fund Planned Parenthood watch the videotapes
1: so actually no Carly Fiorina uh, they're not challenging the authenticity of the videotape they are challenging the authenticity of your claims and your memory that those videotapes showed something that apparently they do not show, according to all the people who have bothered to not just watch the edited versions, but the full-length versions. And I admit, I have not watched them. I've watched enough of those uh, edited and full-length versions, particularly in the midst of that uh, acorn pimp hoax nonsense from James O'Keefe and Andrew Breitbart as i debunked that and actually got the new york times to change dozens of stories that they had misreported about those phony videotapes so i'm glad that others are watching this one and have called out carly fiorina for being a fantasist she needs to bring forward those videos uh, if she uh, believes they exist when even fox news is calling you out you know you're in trouble uh, in any event a fant- another fantasist on the rise in the uh, in the republican party Uh, Moving on here. Volkswagen. This is an amazing story and it's amazing on its own, but it's amazing also in regard to uh, to our next uh, segment and my upcoming guest. Uh, One of the great lessons of the pioneering computer scientist Alan Turing is this, says uh, reports Robinson Meyer over at the Atlantic. Computers are only pretending machines. Software is always just imitating something else. Volkswagen seems to have taken this maximum maxim to new heights. The Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, says that the company installed defeat devices in four-cylinder Volkswagen and Audi brand diesel cars from 2009 to 2015. That's 6 years. These devices essentially let the cars pretend ...to not break the law. What the software would do is it would sense when the car was undergoing emissions testing... ...and it would activate its pollution control systems. But when the car was actually being driven in normal use, these systems did not activate... ...making the car a much heavier polluter in real life than it looked on paper. So the car knew when it was being tested, and it gave different results to people who were examining it... uh, ...at the time it was tested than when it was actually used... Now, with those systems deactivated, it turns out the emissions violate the Clean Air Act and California's uh, state pollution control regulation out here. There is almost a half a million of these vehicles on the roads with these devices installed, according to the EPA. And so uh, Volkswagen is uh, apologizing profusely. They must now pay to repair the emissions uh, systems in the affected cars, and the government may fine Volkswagen by $18 million. Billion. I'm sorry, billion. Thank you, Desi. Uh, $18 billion. Volkswagen admitted that the cars contain these defeat devices. Computers are only pretending machines. Well... In this new report uh, from uh, the Brennan Center for Justice uh, called America's Voting Machines at Risk, our friend John Washburn is quoted in the report. We've had him on the show many times. He's a software testing expert. He has called for better testing of these electronic voting systems that he knows are absolute crap and that uh, rarely, if ever, get tested at all. John Washburn up from Wisconsin, a Republican, by the way, he has testified before the EAC on pre-election testing for these voting machines. And in this report, he urges election officials to make sure that they are testing their machines in election mode as opposed to test mode. Sound familiar? Testing, he says, uh, must be done in a way that looks for programming defects and actually running the test on all the machines before using them because they don't. They Maybe they test one or two. But the point is, these computers can show something other than what is actually being uh, uh, done on Election Day. When they're in test mode, when there's an election non-going, not going on, they can show anything they want. When there is an election going on, they can do something completely different. And there is no really easy way to test that. That is just one of many problems with these electronic voting systems that the Brennan Center for Justice is now once again warning and warning loudly about. We will talk about that and much more with my guest straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. (laughs) Little black boxes in cute little rows A screen that says touch me so cheerfully glows No
3: paper trail, a make-believe poll Cast your vote down the memory hole Little black box where your little vote goes Down and down the memory hole Oh where, oh where did your little vote go?
1: Nobody knows, nobody knows Little black Box. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. As uh, longtime listeners of the Bradcast know and longtime readers of BradBlog.com know, uh, we have been covering concerns about electronic voting machines <clears throat> for years and years. Uh, at this point, more than a decade, I'm sorry to say. And I say I'm sorry to say that because so many of those machines. That we've not only complained about, that we've uh, presented evidence of, uh, you know, b- manipulation of uh, malfeasance of just out and out failure in most cases where the <clears throat> the systems just don't work, which results in people not being able to cast their vote. All kinds of of problems over the over the years, and so many of these machines are unfortunately. Still in place and will be used by voters around the country in the uh, in the upcoming 2016 elections. Hell, not to mention the uh, this uh, autumn's 2015 elections. We are still using these decade old or older machines in this country that uh, the citizenry simply can't oversee. It's a mess and nothing or very little, I should say, seems to be changing to do anything about it. Uh, According to a press release this week from the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law, in 2016, 43 states will use electronic voting machines that are at least 10 years old, perilously close to the end of most systems' expected lifespan. This, according to a new study released last week from the Brennan Center, that includes a significant percentage of machines in key swing states such as Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, and Virginia, Although that said, I don't care where it is, if a vote can't be uh, cast correctly and in a way that the citizenry can oversee it, I don't care if it's in a swing state or not. Somebody is being, uh, well, screwed out of their democracy, to be frank. After the Florida election meltdown in 2000, Brennan Center goes on to say, Congress appropriated... Two billion dollars to move to electronic voting systems. But as the center's new study shows, this technology is rapidly aging and uh, needs to be replaced. The new report, America's Voting Machines at Risk, compiles 10 months of independent research, including conversation with more than 100 election officials and specialists in all 50 states. It details the extent of the problem. Again and again, experts spoke about the dire need to replace old machines, and local officials explained how they simply lacked sufficient funds to pay for them. No one expects a laptop to last for 10 years, says Lawrence Norden, Deputy Director of the Center's Democracy Program, and co-author of the study, along with uh, Christopher uh, uh, what's, uh, here we go, Christopher Famagetti. He says that uh, how can we expect these machines, many of which were designed and engineered in the 1990s, to keep running without increased failures? Good question. Joining us now to discuss all of that and more is Lawrence Norden, deputy director of the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. He has authored several nationally recognized reports and articles related to voting rights and voting technology His work has been featured in media outlets across the country, including The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC and NPR. He has testified before Congress and several state legislatures on numerous occasions and every now and again uh, has bickered with me on air about uh, related topics. Uh, Larry Norton, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
3: Thanks for having me
1: on, Brad. Uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your report. Uh, first, I should say congrats on the report. The, uh, I've seen coverage of this everywhere—New uh, York Times, Wall Street Journal, NPR—everywhere. So congratulations on getting the word out. Uh, what What are the uh, the key findings in the report? And then we'll get into some of the specifics and some of the concerns as you might expect, that I have ab- about, the, about the report and its recommendations. So what, what are the key findings uh, that you came out with?
3: Well, the, the biggest finding is, is that um, in the vast majority of the country, uh, machines are, are at or, or, or rapidly approaching, certainly, the end of their lifespans, uh, and that right now, anyway, in most places, there aren't plans or budget to replace them. Um, The the potential impacts of that are are serious. There there was a a study by uh, professors at uh, MIT and Harvard Mm -hmm. uh, after the 2012 election that said between 500,000 and 700,000 votes were lost in the 2012 election because of long lines. And I think the longer we wait to um, upgrade or replace this equipment, um, the more that we're going to see those kinds of problems. And, and, you know, we, we... we document in the report the kinds of things that can go wrong as these machines age um, so it's uh you know it's a, it's a serious issue for our for our democracy and and the one one additional thing i would say is with older machines also comes just a difficulty in finding replacement parts mm-hmm. they're often running on very old software which creates security vulnerabilities so there are a lot of reasons um, that that we need to start start taking this problem more seriously
1: you you mentioned hundreds of thousands of votes that were lost because of long lines presumably people simply can't wait uh you know it's, it, election day is usually a, a, a work day they can't wait for hours online to vote necessarily how do voting machines electronic voting systems how does that tie to long lines uh at the, at the polling place
3: well, it's pretty simple. If 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 a machine has to be taken out of service, um, then people are people end up having to wait longer while they're waiting for the machine to be uh, fixed or replaced. Um, and if you don't have enough machines, obviously, there're going to be longer lines. So, I'll I'll give you a for example. Mm-hmm. In the 2014 election, um, there was a problem in Virginia Beach with um, uh, vote. What's known as vote flipping. Um, uh, people were voting for one candidate or another, Mitt Romney or, or no, actually I suppose it was 2014, so they weren't voting for Romney or Obama. Mm-hmm. But in any case, they were voting for a Democrat and a Republican, and the opposite candidate was showing up.
1: Well, when they would, uh, and to be clear, that was on the touchscreen systems. The that was on the touchscreen machine. DRE, yeah. direct recording electronic systems, where people uh, either touch the screen to select their candidate or they use a, a button, and then their vote is recorded accurately or not. We can't really know inside the voting machine. But they would they would choose a Republican and would flip to a Democrat. Or they would choose a Democrat. And they would and show them would that they had yeah.
3: chosen a Democrat. And mm-hmm. and and afterwards an investigation was done on twenty seven of these machines. And of course, you know, they had to take them out of service, try to recalibrate them. Um some of them they just couldn't use at all and then they'd have to go and get a replacement. In any case uh what they found was the glue between um the screen and the machine was degrading over time uh and so that it kind of the the screen got knocked knocked over and as a result um was was not recording votes uh accurately um so that's the kind of uh that's just one example of the kinds of things that start happening as these machines uh deteriorate when that happens um there are fewer machines in service uh and they're longer lines
1: and uh, as you know, uh, Larry Norton, those problems, like the, the, the touchscreen vote uh, flipping uh, you mentioned, mm-hmm. that's actually been happening for years and years and years, not just once these uh, machines have gotten old. Uh, you guys uh, know this as well as anyone, I, I believe, and I don't remember the year, I want to say 2007, uh, the report that you did on uh, something, I think it was called 120 security concerns about electronic voting systems or something like that. Uh, when it was a horrifying report almost a decade ago. So, why wait until now? Why is this report coming out now right. when it's too late to really to change many of these machines for 2016? And so much of what you're pointing to, we have known for so many years.
3: Well, in fact, you know, these problems. The problem that I'm talking about. There are the many reasons why there might be the vote flipping. The problem that I'm talking about specifically happens more as machines age. Um, as do other causes of, of vote-flipping. So I, but our concern is you're going to, you know, these machines, no machine is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it ages, these kinds of things get magnified. Um, so why, why are we issuing it now? Well, the reason that we're issuing it now is because um, we're, we're, reading, we're reaching a critical stage where we really are in the majority of states now in, in, at that end-of-lifespan period of time, um, where something needs to be done, so what can be done ahead of the two thousand and sixteen election you are you are correct in many places it's too it's probably going to be too late to replace these machines in time for the two thousand and sixteen elections, but there are plenty of steps uh, that um, counties and states can take to minimize the impact of these problems, so to have for instance paper ballots available uh, when these problems arise so that um, people aren't kept on long lines and are able to vote. Um, and then, frankly, we need to start the planning and purchasing now so that we have new machines in place for the 2018 election uh, or the 2020 election. Um, I should note, you know, some places have just decertified their systems, um, and they, they will have, like Virginia, for instance, for about 20, about, a machine that's using about 24% of their precincts recently decertified because of security concerns. Yeah. Um, um, and and they'll have new machines in place for 2016. But it's getting it's getting parallel It's getting late, very late, to try to replace systems. It is uh, and for, for the next November's election.
1: And uh, just since you cited that uh, Virginia case, and and we covered uh, we covered that when it happened. Uh, horrifying uh, security concerns, hard coded passwords that were you know nothing more than A B C D E uh, or you know usernames admin. It was just ridiculous. But again. Uh, when we covered it on this show uh, at that time and at bradblog.com, we pointed out that that very same machine 10 years ago, mm-hmm. we had covered uh, similar security problems that had been known. So, so much of this has been known for for so long. So, it's it's somewhat frustrating. It, it, you can imagine, and I'm sure you feel the same thing because you've been covering this for so long, reading your report. I'm delighted to see it. I'm delighted to see more information uh, come out and be picked up by the corporate mainstream media. But so much of this we have known about for so long, and it seems there's nobody's willing to really take action about it. Uh, I've heard, Larry, uh, people say that, oh, these machines are aging. Um, And and you point out, you know, they're 10- or 15-year-old computers. If I had a laptop, however, that I only used... Uh, let's say for you know twice a year, and then I kept it in a hermetically sealed uh, uh, container for the rest of the year. Uh, would I still expect it to degrade in ten or fifteen years? Shouldn't it still be usable at that point?
3: I, I, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure of it. Voting machines aren't kept. First of all, that they're often used more than twice a year. But second of all, they're not kept in hermetically sealed environments. They're stored somewhere in a warehouse that that may not be may not be the optimal way to to store them, um, and you know, and in addition to that, you have the problem that as technology ages, um, it just becomes very parts break down, and it becomes very difficult to replace them. And we talk about examples of you know. Uh, election officials having to track down zip disks, which is a pre-CD-ROM technology, yes. um, and paying a fortune for them. I've got a closet um, full.
1: They could come over to my house. I've got a closet <laughs> full of old zip disks.
3: But yes, yeah, so, yeah. In fact, so one election official who complained to us that a number of people started mailing him zip disks. But um, you know, and and running on when you're running on outdated software, these machines interact with other machines, and so if you're running on um, uh, 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 Windows two thousand which isn't serviced anymore by by Microsoft and hasn't been for years you 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 have to have laptops that can that work with those machines that can run on that as well and that's very difficult so um it's it's more than just um the you know turning on a laptop every mm. every year or two or twice a year mm. um and having it still work um and uh you know the the fact of the matter is um the systems are breaking down more often as they get older.
1: I got you. Well, okay, with that in mind. I, though, I, I, yeah. I,
3: yeah. I think there's one other thing I want one other point I wanted to make too sure. is another reason that it's so important to bring this up now. Um uh, a number of election officials said to us that they were concerned that wealthier counties um are in the position counties with more resources are in the position to replace their equipment mm. that is aging. Um and those that don't have those resources are not and we didn't have as much information on this as we would have liked, but where we've been able to get it, um, that seems to be true. So, for instance, in Virginia, we found a about a twenty thousand dollar difference in the average median income of counties that had recently replaced their their aging equipment, mm. uh, and the rest of the state which has had not. We found the same thing in Minnesota, um, in Ohio, where um, there was a, a survey of of county election officials. Most of the county election officials that said they needed to buy new equipment. In the next couple of years, said they couldn't afford to do so. Those that could, the average median income was much higher, Mm. uh, about fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars higher than those that could not. So, there's an additional danger of 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 further exacerbating the kind of um, two-tier election system that 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 already exists too much.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And you end up uh, that translates into a a racial disparity. That uh, translates into a, a class disparity. Uh, and uh, the, so that we see, as we have seen for so many years, uh, year after year, lines much longer in uh, in urban areas and so forth, and there therefore more people turned away, more people unable to cast their vote at all. Uh, Larry Norden, uh, deputy director of the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, you say in uh, in your new report. Well, actually, you said just a few minutes ago, uh, no machine is perfect, and of course that is true, and uh, yet. You're, you seem to be suggesting uh, in this report that these old machines that are becoming outdated be replaced with new machines. Won't they become outdated in uh, a similar yep. amount of time, in, in, in 10 or 15 years, and will be at the same place all over again? And before you answer that, let me also toss this in. That I see nothing uh, in the report. I haven't gotten to go through every uh, every line yet, but it's about 70 pages. But I see nothing in there that, you know, says maybe we need to get rid of these machines altogether and, you know, go to something that actually can be overseen by human beings, which is hand marked paper ballots that are then hand counted by human beings at the precinct. Since even. Your previous report on the security of voting machines seemed to point to the fact that uh, human oversight of, of hand-marked paper ballots and hand-counted paper ballots uh, is more secure than uh, you know than, than computers that will then go obsolete in 10 years. Your thoughts? Well, so uh,
3: there, there were like three questions there, so I'll try to take them all. And I'll give you plenty uh, of time <laughs> at them. Go ahead. Okay, so, so first of all... Um, yeah look I think we need to fund elect we don't fund elections the way we should in this country. We don't fund a lot of things the way that we should, but particularly with elections, there's mm-hmm. kind of a wait till the crisis moment to try to scrounge up some funds which can lead to lots of problems um and I think we have to start thinking differently about the way the way we fund elections so that it's a regular part of our budget um at at all levels federal uh state and local um uh and you know there are there, i think there are advances that are being made that might allow us to break free a little bit of this every 10 years machines are aging where um there are places like los angeles county uh and elsewhere where they're looking at open source software and using commercial off the shelf hardware so that um that that you can replace parts here and there um uh, and not have to go to a single vendor um, and replace an entire system uh, when, when things start to degrade. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do spend a lot of time in the report. We, we, we devote a section to um, uh, post-election audits and security, and, and the fact that there have been a lot of developments that have been made with these machines um, where if you have a paper record, a paper ballot that is filled out by the voter, um, uh, it's become a lot easier to uh, verify vote totals um and we talk about what are called risk limiting audits and the way to do that in terms of going to you know hand hand um uh, counted paper ballots that's still done in a tiny number of jurisdictions in the United States i think they still do it in some places in Massachusetts um it's just very difficult with our system of elections to to uh, imagine um, uh going to a, a, a totally paper based counting system first of all i think there there've been a lot of studies that In general, machines are more reliable in counting accurately Um, um, when you have the kind of complicated elections that we do. But second of all, I mean, imagine a a county like Los Angeles, which can have 300 contests in a year, and um, so many different kinds of ballot styles, uh, even within a precinct, in terms of what people are voting on. Trying to count all of those races uh, by hand um, can can lead to a lot of complications, and frankly, can lead to you know all the kinds of mistakes and and, uh, and and even fraud that we would want
1: to avoid. Well, I, except to say that, and and I'm not sure of those studies that find that uh, machines uh, count more accurately, because in fact the gold standard of democracy, when there is a question about an, an election, we go and do a public hand count, you know, ballot by ballot to, to oversee, uh, to make sure that it's accurate. When we absolutely need to know that it's accurate, we count it by hand. And uh, Yes, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Columbia County, New York, they all do uh, hand counting of of every ballot in those towns. Um, You refer to a paper record that is filled out by the voter, and yet you cite uh, in your report, you cite Los Angeles County and the new system that they are developing out here, the largest voting jurisdiction in the country. Much of the country is looking towards LA and the system they're developing. We've talked with Dean Logan, uh, the uh, registrar out here, uh, about this new system many times, and I know you interviewed him. Um, mm-hmm. He's not; they're not coming out with a paper record that is filled out by the voter. That's a computer-printed uh, record that uh, there will be no way to know after the election if it actually reflects. It's a touch-screen system. Uh, with a computer-printed ballot, that there'll be no way to know if that vote actually reflects the intent of any voter. I- I'm well, concerned about that. About the, s-
3: voter, the voter will have a chance to review the record and then and then put it into the the scanner, right?
1: Um. Yes, they will have that chance. In theory, whether they've done that or not, we won't know. We will never be able to know. It was just like with the so-called paper records that were printed out by those. Uh, The old touchscreen systems, Uh, most people, we found, didn't look at those paper, uh, those so-called voter verifiable paper audit trails before they were cast. And even if they did, there was no way for us to know that they did. And one uh, study, in fact, uh, down at Rice University, found that voters, when looking at the the computer summary of their vote, that two-thirds of voters didn't notice when the computer flipped their votes. So... I'm not obviously, uh, you know, you're not developing that system, so I'm not uh, taking this out on you. But I'm wondering why so technology driven in this report, you in one hand show all the problems with technology. And you guys have detailed those problems better than anyone over the past 10 years and then sort of seem to suggest, well, let's replace them with other systems that are going to offer many of the same problems.
3: Um, I, look, we're not we're not favoring any kind of uh, technology except for what we've talked in the past, where we think that there needs to be a software independent record that can be used to uh, to accurately <laughs> excuse me to accurately um, verify uh, the 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 vote totals that um, the software is is providing, and I think that you can do that with uh, the technology that's available. Um, and, you know, I, there, there are other considerations, obviously, um, including ensuring that uh, systems are accessible to all um, and that they're, they're user-friendly. And, uh, again, we're not pushing any particular technology. Our, the major point that we're making here is that uh, this equipment needs to be replaced.
1: Did you guys uh, speak with any? Well, you do make recommendations, at least for other uh, possibilities and other systems, other technology uh, like that one I mentioned in LA County. Did you talk in the in the course of creating this report with any of those uh, towns in in New Hampshire or with Columbia County, New York, those people who do those hand counts to see if you know they find that to be a viable alternative to these machines that are just um, so terrible?
3: Yeah we did um and I, in fact there's and i if you ask me which ones i'm not going to be able to tell you but there are towns in Massachusetts that we spoke to that work hand counting and they're going, be, they're going to be they're going to be they're going to be replacing that hand counting with machines um but but you can't remember again, which counties I, I i can't okay
1: la, uh, la, last thought here um you uh one of your recommendations which i couldn't agree more with is for emergency uh, paper ballots at the polls in uh Uh, You know locations where uh, essentially where touch screen systems are used because if they're already paper based uh, systems that are almost all counted by computer op scan at least if the computer op scan breaks down that paper ballot can be counted uh, later by another op scan system so we're talking about touch screen systems Uh, but so you uh, recommend emergency paper ballots uh, if the DREs the touch screens uh, break down that you know, they'll have them on hand. Shouldn't we be recommending that counties make these emergency paper ballots uh well just cross off the word emergency, make paper ballots mm-hmm. available to anyone who wants to vote on them at the polling place rather than waiting for the long lines to happen.
3: Yeah, I, I that would me <coughs> excuse me. There you know, there are there are important benefits to people voting uh on machines, which I didn't discuss, when when we're voting on paper ballots, often uh, if if a voter makes an error, uh, a machine will let them know that. So um, with the optical scan machine, if if, if for some reason, the the way you voted, the machine can't read it, or it looks like you voted for two people, the machine will let you know that there's a mistake and give you a chance to correct that. Um, So so I'm not crazy about the idea of having people just vote on paper without some kind of um, uh, notification of potential errors, a notification that their vote won't be read. Um, and additionally.
1: Even when the uh, touchscreen I, machine can't be verified to record any vote accurately ever?
3: Well, that's a whole. I, I'll, I can get to that in a second. That's a whole other question. Okay. Um, but I, I, I'm also, you know, I, if the primary way that people are voting is on one machine, I get nervous about asking people to vote. On another way that where there might not be proper procedures in place to ensure that that those votes are stored safely Mm. um, and that they are ultimately counted and counted correctly. Um, I I just, you know, Mm -hmm. you you could start introducing a lot of complications. There there are enough problems that happen in a polling place on Election Day Mm -hmm. um, and kind of chaos. (laughs) Um, And you have people that aren't necessarily well-trained and haven't been trained, you know, for a long time on this. And as you point out, um, are only doing it you know maybe once or twice a year, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea of um, adding in an entire new system for the way for people to vote that only some people are going to do just makes me nervous unless you know of course a machine goes down, there are long lines then then you 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 take that risk yeah. because you want to make sure that people can get their votes recorded.
1: Makes sense. Would you recommend that if people have the option to vote, let's say by uh, absentee where they can use a hand-marked paper ballot, that they take that option if the only other option is these touchscreen systems that are 100% unverifiable after an election?
3: I, I don't think I would from what I know of vote by mail. Um, a lot of vote by mail is not counted um, a lot of it is you know I mean a lot a, a, a higher percentage than we see on um, on the voting machines in polling places so it's not counted because the person didn't sign their name or didn't follow some particular regulation that was on the um, or didn't understand it or because they you know mm-hmm. made a mistake in filling out their ballot and tried to correct it on the ballot and then for whatever reason it wasn't read the the, the number of votes that aren't counted in some jurisdictions that are are, are voted by mail are i find very
1: troubling mm. good to know and uh unfortunately troubling. Uh, Lawrence Norden, Deputy Director of the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, author co-author with Christopher Famighetti of their uh, Brennan Center's new report, America's Voting Machines at Risk. Can't tell you how many people uh, started uh, sending me emails and tweets and Facebooks and say, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? When this came out last week. So it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, it's certainly pointing out the problems. Uh, we may be bickering about the solutions, but I'm glad you're out there letting Letting people know what these concerns are uh Larry Norton really appreciate the report and your time here on the broadcast today. Thanks so much Brett. Thank you. Hope we get to talk soon. Me too. Uh great. Um boy, I I'll, I'll tell you I uh, I'm I'm troubled by some of those uh some of those recommendations. Um and like I said uh, Larry Norton and I have uh, had it out over the years about various ways to move. Uh, I appreciate what he's saying about uh, absentee ballots. I certainly don't like vote by mail. I am no fan of vote by mail. If you can vote at the precinct, you should, and you should do it on paper, hand-marked paper ballot. But if the only option is to vote at the precinct on a touchscreen voting system, which is 100 percent unverifiable, it is strictly impossible to know after an election if any vote cast on one of those touchscreen systems for any candidate or any initiative on the ballot has ever been recorded accurately as per any voter's intent ever ever on these machines 100 unverifiable if that is your only choice on election day uh to vote on one of those touchscreen systems man find another option get the okay if you can to vote with an absentee ballot, and if you get that absentee ballot, find out if you can drop that paper ballot, hand-marked paper ballot, off uh, at county headquarters or at your polling place to uh, maximize the the possibility that your vote will be counted and counted accurately. I just, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad to see this report. I really am. Um, But I'm troubled because it is so much of what we have been reporting for so long at Bradblog.com and so few uh, people uh, jurisdictions seem to be doing anything about it. And then when people do do something about it, like out here in Los Angeles, again, the largest voting jurisdiction in the country, everyone else in the country is looking to what we are doing out here in L.A. And what are we doing out here in L.A.? We are creating a touchscreen system with many of the same problems that all of the old systems have. And I have been yelling, uh, you know, bloody hell about this, running around with my hair on fire for years about this. And voters who hear the case seem to get it, but county election officials don't, and often academics don't. So in this case, Brandon Center, they get the problem. They've put out reports on security concerns, they've put out reports on these machines that simply don't work, uh, that fail, that keep people from being able to vote at all or to have their vote counted and counted accurately. They get that part, but then we go into the same recommendations again. Oh, let's go find different machines. You know, take a piece of paper, take a pen, hand mark that ballot, and at the end of the night, the gold standard of democracy, at the end of the night, have people at the precinct count those ballots by hand in front of the public, in front of all the political parties, in front of the video cameras, Hell, stream it live on the Internet if you want in every precinct in the world. We've got cell phones and Twitter's Periscope now. This is so easy to do, and it's overseeable by the public. Um, So the public can know that their votes have been counted and counted accurately instead of buried into some technology that uh, even the technologists often can't understand. It's crazy. This has got to change. But after a decade, I don't know if it ever will. All right, more Brad Kestrade ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned.
2: What is known And the evidence is clear. I am not alone. There are thousands of us here. This is my democracy. You won't go telling me my vote don't matter
1: anymore. No, you won't. And it's not worth
2: waiting
1: for. If you get the idea that this conversation this is, is to suggest that uh, your vote we'll doesn't vote matter, that you can't uh, have faith and trust and confidence in these voting machines, so why bother voting at all if that's what your takeaway is? You could not be more wrong. If you want to, you know, save the, the bad guys the trouble of stealing your vote, do them a favor. Don't show up and vote at all. If you want to not vote because you're concerned that your vote might may not be counted, well, if you don't vote, it certainly won't be counted. It's up to you if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to, uh, don't want to vote. But there are measures, there are things that you uh, can do to try to maximize the possibility of your vote being counted. And just because you hear of our woeful electoral system, anyone who uses that as a reason to not vote, frankly, is not paying attention. There are other reasons to not vote. You want to make some sort of a protest. I think it's a dumb protest. But if you want to make it, make it. But don't kid yourself that by not voting you're making some sort of a statement and that uh, why bother because these machines are so crappy. They are crappy. But our democracy, I would argue, is worth fighting for. One question I had hoped to uh, ask um, uh, Larry Norton uh, that I didn't get to is about one of these recommendations that was cited in his report uh, where experts want vendors, voting machine vendors, to take on more of the responsibility for testing. There, which to me is crazy. Uh, he cites uh, Brian Hancock, director of testing and certification at the Electron uh, at the uh, Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC. I've had many uh, conversations over the years with uh, Hancock. Uh, in any case, Hancock believes that vendors should perform some of the testing in house as opposed to waiting for the EAC to do the testing. Uh, Hancock suggested that vendors assure the EAC that a system meets certain specifications when it is submitted for certification, for federal certification. And this assurance is called a manufacturer's declaration of conformity and should be enforceable and come with penalties if it is not met. Now I agree with that idea that they should, uh, you know, say that yes, it meets certain uh, uh, specifications Before it goes through the federal testing and then punish them if it does not, if they lied about it the way Volkswagen lied about uh, their emissions systems, as we talked about earlier in the show. But to leave the testing up to them is insane. Now, uh, he points out, Hancock points out that back in 2000, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, established a system that permitted manufacturers to, quote, self-certify certain types of communications equipment uh prior to implementing this program, the FCC certification process could take between 60 and 100 days. And now uh, testing process takes on average just 35 days. So what they're trying to do is say, hey man, we got to speed up the uh, the ability for these uh, vendors to bring their uh, crappy, unverifiable machines to market by letting them self-certify instead of thorough testing. That is insane. Here's an idea: get rid of the goddamn machines altogether. Because <sighs> I'm probably as tired of uh, talking about this and reporting on it as you are hearing it. All right, we got just a, a minute or so left here. The uh, the Pope, as I'm sure you know, is coming to town. Well, coming to the country this week, he will give a landmark address to Congress. Um, And it it is believed that most of his comments, well, a lot of his comments in any event, will have to do with climate change. And Representative Paul Gossar, congressman from Arizona, he announced last week that he will boycott the Pope's speech. Uh, Because of his comments, because he'll be talking about climate change, Gosar, a Catholic, said he would prefer the Pope address the, quote, persecution of Christians and religious freedom rather than focus on the environment. More troubling is the fact, he says, that this uh, climate change talk has adopted all of the socialist talking points, wrapped false science and ideology into climate justice and is being presented to guilt people into leftist politics. That's what this knucklehead from Arizona says. If the Pope stuck to standard Christian uh, theology, I would be the first in line, Gosar said. But when the Pope chooses to act and talk like a leftist politician, then he can be expected to be treated like one. But here was my favorite quote from Paul Gosar, who is boycotting the Pope. He said, quote, if the Pope wants to devote his life to fighting climate change, then he can do so in his personal time. (laughs)
2: Oh my goodness really
1: that's oh. what he said my thanks to yeah. Desi Doyen our producer to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn to my guest today Lawrence Norton of Brennan Center for Justice's democracy program we'll be back with you same Brad time same Brad channel tomorrow until then you can drop me email I am bradcast at bradblog.com you can download all of our reports anytime in full at bradblog.com or over at iTunes and you can find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world. Everybody.